The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Our gracious and merciful God, we are reminded, we are reminded of our utter dependence upon you. We are reminded of our need for a Savior, of your great love for us in saving us. Our need for your mercy and forgiveness, our need of the righteousness of Christ, our need to be continually led, to be guided throughout this life and kept from wandering. So we praise you for your tender mercy, for your care for us, and we ask, Lord, that you would continue to feed us this morning, feed and strengthen us. Now, through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I read through Paul's missionary journeys, going from, going from city to city, isn't it amazing? Going from city to city, and he experiences so many dangers. So many dangers that you would think by now he expected. And maybe we think, well, shouldn't you change your strategy a little bit? No. I can't help but be amazed by his determination. And obviously, it's, it's so much more than his personality. Obviously, the Lord is leading and guiding him and, and giving him a vision of Jesus, a love for Jesus, and, and for Jesus' people, that this vision, this love, it's so much greater than any other priority of life. His priority is much more than self-preservation. A lot more than comfort, obviously. Much more than safety. And this stands out to us because it seems that so much of our culture has to do with avoiding danger and potential dangers and about being safe. We're fed so many fearful things and when we look at the life of Paul and actual reasons to be afraid, and yet he doesn't let these things stop him from loving people as he opens God's word and the gospel to them. It's really encouraging. It stands out. So when we read about Paul's experiences, I can't help but, but think, what a great example. Yes, he's the... He's the greatest theologian of all, an incredible intellect, with a deep love for for all people's dedication to Christ. And even though we, we cannot compare to his giftedness, his knowledge of the scriptures, his ability to teach, we are nevertheless encouraged to follow his example, to to imitate him. He even tells us so. As later, he writes to this, this church that we read about last week, established in Philippi. He says, join in imitating me. 
Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And if this is what we're meant to do, to to imitate the example of others, Paul in this case, then it seems, shouldn't we be able to say the same to the people in our lives? Follow my example. Parents, grandparents, certainly we should be setting an example for our children and grandchildren to follow. And the same is true spouse, sibling, Christian friend. All of us should live intentionally as Christians with this idea of of setting an example as we prioritize our faith and spend time in God's Word and, and live it out, not just head knowledge, but actually doing the Word of God and showing Christ's love in practical ways. We should, we should imitate people like Paul and live in a way that encourages people to imitate us. And when you think of actually suggesting to someone, hey, follow my example... Does it make you cringe? Or what would you think if someone said to you, you know, I'd like to get to know you better because I want to learn from you. I want to follow your example. I think many of us might respond with, no, 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 no. You don't want to be like me. False humility. And we may... We, we say this because, well, okay, we do know our own sin. We do know our own weaknesses. And it feels kind of arrogant to say, imitate me. But could you say it right now with a straight face? Or are you thinking, well, okay, Pastor Ryan, give me a month or two. <laughs> Maybe I, I need to get my act together first. No. Don't hide behind false humility. We're all aware of our failings and faults. It's not a prideful thing because, after all, isn't this simply what it means to be a disciple? That we're, we're following someone's godly example as we're setting an example for others. Paul was imitating Jesus. He said it again in 1 Corinthians. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And this wasn't an arrogant thing for him to say. And we know that he was very aware of his own sin. After all, he's the one who also said, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. I'm the foremost. I'm the chief of sinners. So Paul was very aware of his failings. But he also knew, he knew that he was forgiven. He knew that he was called by God to repent and follow Christ. So don't let your, your past sins paralyze you from embracing the gospel and moving on into imitating Christ, imitating Paul, imitating the various godly people in your life and being one that others might also imitate. 
It's what discipleship is. Following and leading. And certainly we can follow the examples of the characters in God's Word, but in doing so, that means means we'll be involved with people who are alive today. People that God has placed in our lives. Brothers and sisters, right? Right here at Bear Creek Church. Earlier, earlier in the week, I was reminded about the importance of hospitality, of our being intentional to do life together, to invite people over, to grab a coffee, to, to get to know people beyond a Sunday morning. But I'd, I'd also say, take advantage of Sunday mornings. Take advantage of Sunday mornings, especially those third Sundays when we, when we have a lunch afterwards or, or the picnic tomorrow. Because as much as we like food here, it really, we, we say it a lot and it's true, it's really not about the food. That's just a, that's an excuse to get together. It's about conversations. It's about our fellowship. It's about getting to know each other. Sharing Really getting to know each other, sharing our hurts, our struggles, praying for one another. And when, when you hear somebody struggling, um, Pastor Dale stuck this in my head. It's like, don't just say, I'll pray for you. Just let's pray right now. Make that a habit. Pray for one another. Take advantage of those times and and get beyond superficial talk. Ask, ask questions. Open up. Also, take advantage of our, our various small groups and men's groups and, and this upcoming women's Bible study that, that we've advertised. Uh, the, the Labor Day picnic tomorrow. And um, also, I think in a few weeks, I don't think we've advertised it yet, but we hope to do another one of those uh, meeting times with the pastors, where you're invited to ask questions and and get to know us, and and we hope to get to know you better as well. And this is, it feels funny to do those things. I like, I enjoy them, I like them, but I hope you know, even though that's some planned intentional meeting, I hope you know that you're always available. Uh, right after the sermon, come on up. Afterwards or beforehand, we're always available. We want to get to know you. We're always available on a Sunday or or during the week to answer any questions, to to pray. You know, I say I like questions. Pastor Bill reminded me the other day, you know, I like questions too, Pastor Brian. I like to get coffee too. So, we all need to be intentional, Right? We all need to be intentional in our walk with the Lord and to recognize that, that God, God sovereignly places us in situations where we can encourage someone else to walk as we walk. Don't cringe at that. Don't avoid it. You, you have something to offer someone. It's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Everyone's given a gift. Everyone has a unique voice for someone. Okay, so let's look at Paul. 
Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts 16. We're going to go back, um, begin with verse 35. And if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you remember, the, the jailer has come to Christ and is caring for Paul and Silas. So we're going to pick it up there, Acts 16, 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now... When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, and was his, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. This is God's word. You may be seated. 
Well, there's, there's a lot here, and don't be disappointed that I'm not going to get into a lot here. I just read this, and am, I'm amazed at Paul. So this morning, I just want to, I wanted to focus on, wow, what drives this guy? What example is he to us? I wanted to go back to chapter 16, because, because Paul's response to the magistrates is interesting, isn't it? If you remember, Paul, he cast out a demon out of a slave girl. And this poor girl, a victim really of, of a form of human trafficking, she was, she was possessed by a python spirit, a demon associated with the Pythian god, a snake who, for a price, would speak through this girl and tell people they're their future, something to do with their future, or basically something from the spirit world. So Paul casts out the demon, and then the men who used her, well, they lost their source of income, not being happy about that. They dragged Paul and Silas before the city rulers and stripped them and publicly humiliate them and beat them with rods and throw them into jail. And God responds with an earthquake. Freeing the prisoners. And yet, Paul and Silas were able to, apparently they are able to keep everyone there. None of the prisoners escaped. Remember the jailer wants to kill himself because he's going to be executed for losing the prisoners. And they're like, no, no, we're here. So the jailer is saved. He asks, what must I do to be saved? And we see the jailer believing and responding as a, as a changed man who, who, who cares for them, washes their wounds, brings them into his home and, and feeds them. And then we read now in our text that the city magistrates, probably thinking, well, that's enough punishment for those guys. We put things in order. They send the police to the jailer saying, let them go. And it's now, here's what's interesting, it's now that Paul pulls the Roman citizen card. And the magistrates realize that, ooh, we can be in some big trouble here because um, it's illegal to punish or certainly to beat Roman citizens without a proper trial. Both Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And now Paul's saying, no, 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 you... You've treated us unjustly. We're not going to leave so quietly. You need to come and give us a public apology. And we read this and think, why didn't he say that from the start? Right? Did he forget? <laughs> I doubt it. Is he, is he just now remembering that, hey, I got rights as a Roman citizen? And if he would have said it sooner, they would have avoided a beating and humiliation and torture. Why didn't he say it sooner? I think that's the question we should ask here. Well, here's why. Paul didn't stop the beating because he was considering this new church in Philippi. He was considering their association with him and what all of this public uproar would mean for their future. 
how they would be viewed by the community and certainly treated by the government, by the city officials. Many think that Paul actually intended to put the city officials in a difficult position in order to provide a basis for the future protection of this church. He wanted the magistrates to realize their error and the trouble that they could be in so that this church associated with Paul would also be untouchable. Their public apology is going to remove a negative opinion towards the church. It was an intentional suffering for the sake of the church. So when Paul would write them and tell them to consider others more significant than themselves, they would know that they were the recipients of this. That they should imitate Paul, who was ultimately imitating Jesus and his loving sacrifice. Here's something for us to imitate. Consider others more significant than yourself. Paul wrote to the Philippian church saying, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There's a lot, of, there's a lot for us to imitate in the life of Paul. And this is probably the most difficult one. Because, well, we like our comfort. And there's nothing wrong with being comfortable, with enjoying the many gifts of God, but, but are we willing to sacrifice this for the sake of others? If not, then we don't consider them more significant than ourselves. It's the hardest imitation of all. But it's a part of what it means to be like Jesus. It, it, it's part of what it means to be a disciple of his. And please don't hear this as, you know, I, I think there's some sermons that are just do, 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 la, 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 and grace. So don't hear this as one more thing for you to do as law instead of gospel, as something to feel guilty about. No, it's the mind of Christ. And as we grow in him, as we grow in our admiration and love for Jesus, as we immerse ourselves in his word and his spirit indwells us and conforms us to his image, this kind of attitude is going to become more and more what we actually want to do. We get to. We don't have to, we get to. We'll want to do this. So it's the grace of God and not some added work. Paul didn't do this begrudgingly. We don't get any impression that he, that he did it begrudgingly. He didn't do it out of guilt or duty. He did it out of love. If you're in Christ, this kind of attitude or fruit progressively becomes yours. As the Spirit works within you. This is, what it, this is what we should want. 
what we should aspire to be. And Paul tells us in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's yours. Jesus saves us not only to keep us from the punishment of hell, but from the corruption of our own sinful, selfish attitudes. The salvation we're given involves being given the very mind, the very attitude of Christ that will increasingly want to consider others more significant than ourselves. And oh, what a... When you think about that, wow, what a countercultural attitude is that? If you're frustrated and concerned for America, this is the place to start. The testimony and the transforming power of the gospel. In a culture that says, get what's yours, don't worry about who you step on. In order to get it, you have rights. Put yourself first. It's me time. This imitation of Paul who was imitating Christ, it's extreme. It's his own skin. Something we, we, we really aren't faced with yet. And again, I've... I've started with the most difficult imitation of all. It's like, it's like going to the gym for the first time and trying to bench press what this big bodybuilder is doing next to you. You can't imitate his bench press. But start with something. Start with something that's appropriate, that's light. And we can and we should imitate Paul. But start with something light. Start with... With some of the ordinary things in life that we, that we currently have. You know, the little inconveniences. The small ways that you can prefer others to yourself. And when I, when I say this, I think of... One of the first... It's funny. One of the first things that, that comes to mind is an example. I, I, I remember this nearly every time I drive and I get behind an elderly person who's going 10 miles an hour lower than the speed limit. That's like the easiest, one of the first things that I think of. And I think of it because I remember years ago, Pastor Dale Dale saying, you know, don't get annoyed. Certainly don't, don't throw your hands up in the air and honk your horn. Let the people behind you do it. At you. At you. At you because... Because you've backed off and you're guarding that sweet elderly person. You're guarding them because you've, you've backed way off of them. You don't want them to feel any pressure. Let the long line of cars behind you get annoyed at you instead of them. I'll never forget that. I hope. So now, yeah, when you're driving, you can, will you remember that? Consider others more significant than yourself. Start with something light like that. Or mowing your neighbor's lawn when they're out of town. Bringing a meal to someone. 
doing the laundry, even though it's, you know, that's the wife's job. Do it. Cook. Do the dishes. Guys, here's something. Be aware. (laughs) Be aware. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, pay attention to the turmoil going on in the house, the burdens, the exhaustion of your wife or the people around you, and step in and give them a break. There's so many little things that we can do that communicate the mind of Christ. And then, if there ever is something that's really big, something really difficult, something really heavy that that comes along, maybe maybe it'll actually be our joy instead of an obligation or duty. Paul was thinking of others more than his own comfort or his own rights. And as we read on, Paul go, he goes to Thessalonica, going once again into the synagogue to people who have an appreciation for the scriptures, and he reasons with them. He explains, he even proves to them that Jesus is the Messiah, that they're this Messiah that, you know, they're already familiar with. This is why he's going to the synagogues. So a second thing to imitate in Paul is, is this ability to reason with people from the scriptures. Okay, that's hard too, isn't it? Again, we're not the bodybuilder. We're not the Apostle Paul. But we should be growing in our ability to talk about the scriptures with people. We may not have this, the arguments that he had, but we should be growing in them. We should understand the gospel. We should know why Jesus came, why he had to die on the cross, why his resurrection is so central to our faith. And if your only message to people is, God loves you, it's a great message, it's true. But if that's all there is, then why would a person ever think that they need Jesus? In your mind, you may be thinking, God loves you because he gave his son. But don't assume that they know what you're talking about. So if if some people just, if they only hear God loves you, they're hearing, God doesn't have a problem with you. You're good with him. So, like Paul, we need to tell people the gospel. That it was necessary for Jesus to come. It was necessary that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. For him to suffer and die for us. For us. Meaning, we deserve to die. We deserve the punishment of God because we've sinned against him. We deserve hell, but God so loved us that he gave his only son to die in our place, to take our punishment upon himself so that we might be forgiven. And we know that Jesus accomplished this because it would be unjust for this sinless one to remain in the grave. God is just, and so Jesus was raised from the dead. The penalty for sin was actually paid. And salvation is yours if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the the question the Philippian jailer asked. What must I do to be saved? 
Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And as you grow stronger in your knowledge of the scriptures, you're going to understand that believing in him means trusting in his righteousness, trusting in him alone and not yourself. Actually, actually turning, repenting of your sins as you turn, as you trust, as you believe in him. Begin here. Begin here and keep growing in your appreciation for the scriptures that, that spoke of this truth thousands of years before Jesus came. This is why verse 3 says that it was, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. It was necessary. Paul knows the scriptures and that they prophesied that this would occur. And so it was necessary. His audience, well, they appreciated God's word. And so Paul used that and reasoned with them from the scriptures. He presented arguments to them. He explained or opened up to them what they hadn't seen before. It's like Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And the two disciples who who didn't understand that the Messiah must suffer and die and that their own scriptures described this as well as the resurrection. And Jesus opened their eyes to the scriptures and he proved to them that the scriptures spoke of him. Paul's doing the same thing. They had a, these Jews and God-fearers, they had a concept of, of the Christ, of the Messiah. They believed that there was a coming Messiah. But they didn't realize, they missed the important truth that God's Messiah must suffer and die. And that it was necessary for him to rise again. Necessary. But when they thought of the Messiah, they were thinking, they're thinking of a, of a royal, powerful figure that would fulfill God's promise to David and, and this continuation of that kingdom and rule. So in opening the scriptures, Paul, Paul probably, I imagine he opened up Isaiah 52 and 53, showing them that, so, so they, they know there's a Messiah, but their concept is needs to be explained, opened up to them. He showed them that the Messiah would be marred beyond human semblance. That he would be despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That he would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. That he would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. That he would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. Surely Paul went to Isaiah and then told them of Jesus who actually came. Who actually came and willingly went to the cross Offering himself, being pierced for them because of our sin and guilt. According to the scriptures, according to prophecy, it was necessary. 
necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer and to rise from the dead. And maybe Paul went to Psalm 16 to show that God would not abandon his soul to Sheol. That he would not let his Holy One see corruption. This is the argument that Peter made at Pentecost. Brothers, I... I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. So so Peter's talking about Psalm 16 here. Say with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, Psalm 16 is not about David because David's body did see corruption. But David's Lord, the Messiah, was not left in the grave. It was necessary that the Messiah, who is Christ, rise from the dead. The Messiah's death and resurrection was, it's not some new concept. Scripture says, and Paul explained and proved, that it was necessary. And Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Paul's explaining, he's proving this to a group of people who believe the Scriptures. Okay, but for us, it may be different. We don't tend to go into synagogues. We may be speaking to someone who knows nothing at all about the Bible. And, and certainly when you, when you look at various polls in our country, there's huge illiteracy of the Bible. People don't know anything. So we need to know, we need to know their worldview, We need to probably reason in a different way because they may have no regard for the scriptures. But everyone knows deep within their souls. They know guilt. I always think of R.C. Sproul hearing all these various world religions and coming back with the question, yeah, but what do you do with your guilt? Christianity is different. Everyone knows their own guilt. Everyone knows that God must be a just judge. And so everyone, whether they admit it or not, everyone knows Everyone knows there's a God. It's what scripture tells us. Everyone knows there's a God. They can say they don't believe in a God. But everyone knows deep within their souls There's a God, and everyone knows their own guilt, and everyone wants to be forgiven. And we have the answer, so we need to reason with them. We can reason with people, but we need to grow in our understanding of the Scriptures. We need to read and study and have conversations and, and, and actually listen to people's questions And not get into arguments, to prayerfully consider them, to have a prayerful heart in this, not with a goal to to win, but with a heart for them to see the truth, to reason with them. Okay, yes, our situation, it's not the same as Paul's. But we don't need to be on his level in order to imitate him. 
Think on a smaller scale. Because none of us have the intellect, none of us have the biblical knowledge that Paul has. But we're all called to go and make disciples. And in order to do so, we need to be, well, we need to read God's Word. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to be willing to have conversations with people about it. Uh, willing to the extent of knowing that we're not going to have the answers and that's okay. Knowing how to describe why the death and resurrection of Jesus is so important. And Paul, Paul had a lot of different kinds of conversations. And we're going to see next week, he goes to Athens. And a completely different approach. He reasons with them in a very different way than he does in Thessalonica. Because they have no concept of the scriptures. So our, our conversations may be, they may think of it. Some of those conversations that you have, it may be really short, one opportunity to share the gospel with a stranger. Or it may be with a friend or a neighbor over a long period of time, developing a friendship, learning their questions, talking more personally about your own faith. But we have to know, we have to love God's Word, which means reading, studying, discussing it, reading good books that will help us grow. I don't think we have any books on our back table, but we want to, the elders, we keep, we've put some out on the back table in the past, and we've gotten more that will be coming, different books that we think, oh, this would be good for our people to read, and we're So look on the back table every once in a while. If you see a book, they're free. Grab it. We want you to read. We want you to love God's Word. I'm also thinking, I I love, Ligonier Ministry has a, um, part of their site is called Ligonier Connect. And it's hundreds of these these, um, lecture videos, 30-minute long videos, with online discussion board with people online with questions and get a little certificate when you complete it. Wonderful resource. Check that out. It's like a $9 a month subscription. So there's wonderful resources uh, that are available to you. Um, And we want to give them to you. You know, if you can't afford $9 a month or whatever it is, let us know. We'll get you a subscription to that. So there are a lot of ways for us to grow. Various resources, small groups. We'll even match you with someone if you want to do an individual one-on-one discipleship. But we have to be intentional. And one of the best ways for you to know the Bible is to have some conversations with people and invite their questions. And don't be threatened by people's questions because there really is an answer. I've just grown confident over the years. That's why I say I, I like questions because not because I have the answer, but because I know I can get the answer. And I learned this lesson a long time ago working in my family's Christian bookstore, being asked all sorts of questions that I had that I didn't have the answer to. A lot of times, and it seemed like what in the eighties, nineties Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses were much bigger than they are now, and they'd actually come in the store and want to argue with you. And uh, my brothers would always kick me out there and say, Brian, you go talk to them. And, um, and God would humble me because I, I, would, I learned it was okay to say, you know, that's a good question. I don't know the answer, 
but I can find it if you want to come back, if you really want to know. So God put me in these humbling, frustrating conversations in order to drive me to study God's Word. Um, Maybe He uses our pride sometimes, our simple pride to get us into His Word. But I love that Paul was able to reason with and explain and even prove these things from the Scriptures. But notice that Paul, he would also focus on the main thing. And a lot of times you have these conversations with people and they want to get off on these things that really don't matter. And so we learn to bring it back to Jesus because that's what matters. That's ultimately what matters. Lastly, we need to imitate Paul's right priorities. Nothing compared to knowing Jesus. It's what drove him to consider others more significant than himself. It's what compelled him to search and study and meditate upon God's word. It's why he went from city to city, even even though he knew that he was going to be persecuted there, even though he knew that people would mistreat, mistreat him, because he prioritized his relationship with Jesus and his calling as an apostle of Christ. He was willing. He was willing to endure. I, this list always blows me away. This list from 2 Corinthians. He was willing to endure the following. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. That's what Jesus endured. People would die from this. Brutal. Three times I was beaten with rods. We just read of one. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst. Often without food. In cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Wow. That's not the American dream, is it? It doesn't sound very appealing to any of us, but what is appealing is to have such a clear vision of Christ. Such An incredible love for our Savior and His gospel and for people that a person wouldn't let these things get in the way. That the treasure of Christ is so great. Nothing else compares. You're willing to... doesn't matter. He's going from city to city. He knows it's going to be the same thing. It's worth it. Nobody wants that kind of treatment. But there's something, oh, there's something beautiful about wanting and prioritizing Christ to the point of enduring such things. We need to begin, again, we need to begin somewhere, wherever we're at, but prioritizing. Treasuring Christ truly means that I can do all things. The most misused verse in all of Scripture. Not the things for my own personal achievement. Not the way that this verse is is 
misused, but that I can do anything. I can endure any kind of hardship and suffering that we've because we've learned the secret. We've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. We can do we can do all things because nothing else compares to knowing Jesus. Nothing can get in the way because he is our priority. Ah. Oh. Easier said than done. Pray for that kind of vision of Christ, that kind of love for Christ that would cause you, cause me, cause us. You know, not that we're not gluttons for punishment. We don't want these things, but to love him so much that it's not going to deter you, not going to stop you from continuing to. Glorify Him in the sphere that God has placed you. Doesn't have to be big like Paul. Could be caring for a loved one at home. Children, being a mom, being a dad, being a husband, spouse, in a God-glorifying way. Driving behind that elderly person that you will always run into. This is the blessing the example that we see in the life of Paul. It's a very good person for us to imitate. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for the example of Paul. Thank you for the example of so many people in our lives. Lord, Lord, please help each of us, regardless of age, regardless of education or ability, regardless of past sins, Lord, help each of us, help each of us to know that you are sovereign. And so you you have perfectly placed us to be a help, to be an example to someone. Lord, give us a hunger for your word. A great love for Jesus and for people. Give us a, a right vision, a right priority instead of, instead of being so distracted or even paralyzed by fear. Lord, help us to see this calling in our lives and that we're meant to both follow and lead. To follow the example of godly people and to be that example of godliness in the lives of others. May it never be a boast or a duty, but instead an act of love, as it was for Paul. Lord, please strengthen and grow your church. Make us effective, we pray, for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.